0: Good morning. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Um, I add my welcome along with David's this morning. Uh, today we're, we're finishing our two-week little mini-series looking at the small and often ignored letters of 2nd and 3rd John. And today we're going to be looking at the whole of 3rd John, uh, which is the shortest book in the Bible. Um, you'd expect it to be the shortest sermon that we preach, and I'm not making any promises uh, today. Um, last week we saw the, the thrust of Second John was to hold fast to the gospel because there are these false teachers that are coming in who are rejecting the reality and the implications of the incarnation of Jesus. And John writes to them that they should have nothing to do with these teachers, not extending hospitality to them at all. And today in Third John we have essentially the flip side of that coin. Uh, John's writing this personal letter to Gaius. It feels like we're eavesdropping a bit. Um, Gaius, we don't know anything about him other than he's a faithful follower of Jesus who demonstrated his faith in his hospitality. And the call is the same as Second John, walk in the truth. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel and continue to reflect your Savior in your practice of gospel hospitality. Uh, remember, John is writing somewhere between 80 and 95 AD to a very specific context at a very specific church, probably in Asia Minor somewhere. Remember, they don't have the New Testament as a whole at their fingertips. They don't have the benefit and the wisdom of the creeds and councils yet, and their churches don't look like our church this morning. Uh, They don't have established church leadership structures, and they're dependent on these traveling pastors to come and preach the good news to them. And so our context is very different. We have the New Testament as a whole. The boundaries of Orthodox Christianity have been set out for us, and we aren't dependent on traveling preachers from week to week, although you might wish you were. Um, And yet we really deeply need John's words to us this morning because we too struggle to hold fast to the truth of the gospel, and we see what we'll, we'll see this morning is that our relationship to the truth impacts our relationship to others. And when our relationship to the truth is broken and disfigured, our relationship to others will be broken and disfigured as well. So let's turn to our text. I'll be reading all of Third John printed in your bulletin. Uh, this is God's word given for his glory and for our good. So hear the word of our Lord. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the, tr- tr- to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would draw us near to you during this time. That you would teach us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to hear your word, that you would help me to get out of the way so that we can point to Jesus together. Father, there are some in this room this morning that just can't even imagine that they are here that they wish they were anywhere but within these four walls. We pray that you would soften and that you would, that you would make yourself real and gracious to them. Father, there are others that are excited about you and what you are doing and others that used to describe them. Father, we all are in need of meeting with you, and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in your gospel and your grace this morning through your word. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen. Well, we're all imitators uh, by nature. You just look at our children, you look at everyone around us. We imitate what we love and what we believe to be true. Um, for my whole life, this is a very embarrassing story, uh, I've been imitating my dad in one very specific way. Um, I learned to put cologne on by watching my dad, and I thought it was the way that men put on cologne, and it was like this. It went, ch 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 So if you counted, there's 7 ch seven sprays there. Um, It was only this past year, sadly to say, uh, that my sweet wife, when she was pregnant with Sawyer, uh, couldn't handle getting ready in the morning with me and asked me to never put cologne on that way anymore. And she taught me the proper way to put on cologne. Um, She taught me that I was doing it wrong, that one spray really is sufficient. Um, If you're going to be crazy, you can do two. Seven is way out of bounds and out of bounds. Um, And when she told me, it was like glass shattered in my brain. Uh, I never even thought about putting on cologne before. I just imitated what I saw my dad do every day. What I didn't realize was, one, that's just going through a lot of cologne in general. No wonder that I was spending a ton of money and going through a bottle really quickly. Um, But two, my dad put on cologne that way to cover up the fact that he was a smoker. Um, So what I believed about my dad and how to put on my cologne had this really negative impact on my wife and probably some of you in this room. Um, And I'm sorry for that. Uh, But we imitate what we love. Um, Our lives bear out the things that we believe to be true. And that really brings us to our passage this morning. Um, John shows us through these two people's lives that he writes about, Gaius and Diatrephus, that what we love really impacts the way that we live. What we believe to be true bears out in our lives. Our relationship to other people reveals our relationship to the truth. So this whole letter is about holding fast to the gospel, walking in the truth of the gospel, and as a result, living out of gospel hospitality. Um, again, remember last week in Second John, the call was to hold fast to the gospel, to walk in the truth and the love of it, because there are many deceivers that reject the incarnation of Jesus and are trying to get you to move past the gospel, thinking that you need something more than the gospel to be spiritual. But we said that that, that isn't the truth of, of Christianity at all, that the gospel isn't just the way into Christianity, the way into a relationship with Jesus, but it's the only way that we grow as well, that we never can move beyond the gospel. And so today we're just going to see how our relationship to others is really revealed by our relationship to the truth of the gospel by looking at these two men that John uh, writes to and writes about. So we're going to look first at the negative example of Diotrephes and the positive example of Gaius. So first, we're going to look at Diotrephes. Um We don't know anything about him other than what's written in these few verses. This is the only mention of him in Scripture, but it is not positive. Uh, we don't know if he was an official uh, leader in his church or if he was just an influential member, if he went to Gaius's church or if he went to another church nearby. But what we do know is that he's the evil example that John tells Gaius not to imitate in verse 11. In our introduction to Diotrephes, we're told in verse 9 that he loves to be first. Now that means that he's selfish, that he's self-absorbed, and he loves to lead by controlling by controlling others, that he has a very high view of himself and he has this great love for himself. He's consumed with this prideful ambition. He's ignored Jesus' teaching from Matthew 20 and Mark 9 and 10 where Jesus says that if you wish to be first, you must be the servant of all. He's ignored Paul's words from Colossians 1 that say that Jesus is to be first in all things. So we learn that he's selfish and self-absorbed, but then we learn that this ambition that he has has moved to pompous arrogance. Uh, Verse 9 says, he will not welcome us, which uh, some translations read he rejects or he doesn't acknowledge our authority. So at its base level, in this first century culture of hospitality, which we got into last week and we'll get into more this week, this hospitality of welcoming strangers and brothers and sisters and teachers in Jesus, Diotrephus rejects John and John's friends. He won't even receive them. But it also means that Diotrephus rejects John's apostolic authority given to him by Jesus himself. He won't welcome or listen to John and what he has to say. And John has written previously to the church, we find out, but Diotrephus has rejected his words outright. And in John 13, 20, Jesus says this, Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So in Diotrephus rejecting John and his authority, he's rejected Jesus and the God who sent him outright. This is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. His thoughts, his beliefs, his practices are governed by, informed by, and controlled only by himself. No one can speak into his life. And then it leads to verse 10 where we see that he's spreading malicious nonsense about John and his friends. Empty words. Diatrephus is threatening the peace and the purity of the church and spreading these worthless words and lies about John and his friends. And then, if if that's not bad enough, Diatrephus is unwelcoming and unhospitable to those around him, to his traveling brothers and sisters in Jesus. And he's actually preventing gospel ministry from occurring because he won't welcome them. He's stopping them and he's even excommunicating those who are on board with it. Now we don't know why Diatrephus is at odds with John, why he's rejected him. We don't know if it's because... He doesn't want anyone else coming in to teach his people, whether for good or bad reasons. If he has a problem with just authority in general, if he wants to be independent or he thinks that John is too old and too disconnected and shouldn't be able to speak into the life of his church, or if he just doesn't like John, we don't know. But what we do know is that Diotrephus is a threat to the survival of truth and love of Jesus and his church because of his love for himself, because he's ruled by his agenda and not the gospel. So, John has to speak into this. And Diatrephus is set up in this contrast between Gaius and Demetrius. uh, This is not the person you should imitate. Don't be persuaded by him. Don't live like him. This is an example for us of how not to walk in the truth of the gospel. John's description of Diatrephus challenges our allegiances. Challenges our motives, our actions, and our relationships. We have to ask ourselves, what what am I known for? Who do I listen to? Who can speak into my life and tell me when I'm struggling? When I'm being prideful? When I'm being hurtful? When I'm actually damaging relationships? When I'm actually damaging the gospel mission because of my life and thoughts and behaviors? Diatrephus is a warning to us inside the church. He's not referred to as a heretic here. He's, he's a brother, but he's a jerk. Our relationships to others in the church are revealed by our relationship to the truth of the gospel. And so when we're not ruled by the gospel, when the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus, the God-man, came in the flesh to suffer and to die for and pay for our punishment for our sin and brokenness and rebellion that we deserve for rejecting God and for failing to honor and love Him, that in His death and resurrection He conquered sin and death and made it possible for us to be renewed and reborn and brought into His family and forgiven by faith and repentance, that we're loved and welcomed by this God now, when we were strangers and enemies of Him, and now we're included in God's family, as his dearly loved children, and we're included in his mission of renewing all of creation, and it's not because of anything good in us. It's solely by his love and grace for us. When that isn't at the core of our lives, it can lead us to be like Diatrephus, self-centered, arrogant, unwelcoming, ungracious, and malicious even with our words. We can pit truth against love instead of holding them together. So we can think that our beliefs, our interpretations of Scripture, our ways of doing things, our theological positions, our political positions, our cultural positions and practices are the only way. They're the right way, and no one can tell me any different. So when we separate ourselves from the gospel and we become the arbiters of truth, of what is right and true, we're in a dangerous place. A place John calls evil. And this evil is primarily shown in not being hospitable, not welcoming our brothers and sisters in Jesus, not supporting gospel ministry with our prayers and our resources. It's seen in not pursuing and not welcoming those who are different from you. So the question we have to ask is, who do you greet on Sunday mornings? Who do you talk to? Do you look for new people? People that are alone? Do you Who do you welcome into your home? Do you just have your friends to your house? What about your neighbors? What about new people? What about people who are different from you? When we reject the authority of Scripture, of Jesus himself, John says, we elevate ourselves and it's so easy for us to look down on people that we disagree with and that, and who do things differently than we do. It's so easy to dehumanize our brothers and sisters in Jesus and spread gossip and lies and malicious nonsense about them. I mean, look at how Christians, how many Christians interact on Facebook. It's awful. We tend to surround ourselves when we do this. We tend to surround ourselves with like-minded people who reinforce our broken positions, and we build these echo chambers of arrogance and hostility and pride and anti-gospel practices, when we love ourselves more than we love Jesus, and we're ruled by our agenda more than we are by Jesus' agenda to redeem and renew all things, to welcome sinners, we're hindering the gospel. We're working against Jesus and his mission. So this morning, if you find that you're unteachable, that you tend to look down on your brothers and sisters in Jesus who act or think differently than you do, who vote differently, who enjoy culture differently, who do school differently than you do. If you find that you're not generous with your time and your possessions, you don't repent or apologize to people very often. You use your words to tear down and to gossip about others instead of lifting them up and encouraging them instead of speaking the truth in love, if you find that you sacrifice truth for love, or you sacrifice love for truth, the call this morning is to return to the gospel, to repent. Stop imitating what is evil. You're not imitating and representing Jesus. Come home to the gospel. Live out of it, and let the truth of the gospel drive you in your relationships. So, that's the negative example of diatrophos. So, what should we imitate? Verse 11 says, imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Again, the thrust of this letter is walking in the truth, is, is made evident in your showing hospitality to strangers and brothers and sisters in Jesus. So what does it mean to walk in the truth? The very thing that John commends Gaius for in verses 3 and 4. It's not just believing the right things about Jesus. It's this all-of-life being lived. It's an all-of-life living, being ruled by the gospel of Jesus. It's, as one commentator writes, behaving with the integrity which both reflects and embodies the truth of the gospel itself. It's not just right thinking, but proper outward behavior as well. It's living all of your life arranged under the gospel, that Jesus came and died for you to renew and to welcome you, to bring you in to transform you from a rebellious stranger to a friend and a child of the living God, not because there's anything good in you, not because you would be good, but simply because he loved you and he wanted you. Being brought into God's family is purely of his grace, meaning it's a gift to be received. It's not something that you can earn or you can achieve. Your goodness doesn't get you in and your badness doesn't keep you out. So, if you have a right relationship to this truth of the gospel, how does that impact your relationships with those around you? If you're ruled by the gospel, by God's grace shown to you in Jesus, how does that impact the way that you live? John says one of the major ways that you see that you're walking in the truth of the gospel is that you practice gospel hospitality in your life and in the church. Remember, this is the first century house church they don't have the New Testament. They don't have the creeds and the councils. And so they relied on these, these certified traveling preachers to hear about the good news of Jesus. That's why last week it was so important. John told them, avoid those who are coming in to infiltrate your church to spread the anti-gospel of Jesus not being a human being. To, to preach against the, the, that Jesus was the incarnated God in the flesh. He, he wasn't saying don't have relationships with those that disagree with you. He wasn't saying don't have a relationship with those who are confused spiritually or even those who are against Christianity. He's saying love those people, have relationships with them, invite them in, live out the truth in front of them, be a friend to them, and invite them into relationship with the God who made them and died for them. What John was saying last week was don't provide a platform for those false teachers to teach and preach in your church. If they don't believe the gospel, you should not support them financially and physically. And now, the flip side, John is saying in 3 John, with those brothers that are faithful to Jesus, that go out for the sake of the name, that not for their own gain, not to teach something more advanced than the gospel, but to to preach and teach about Jesus and his gospel, he's saying support them. Welcome them. Take care of them. Send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Give graciously to them. And in doing so, you're actually partnering with them and sharing in their work for the truth of the gospel. Now, we don't live in the first century in Asia Minor. We we don't depend on traveling preachers from week to week. But the call for us to show hospitality to strangers and to brothers and sisters in Jesus is still the same for us. We're called to be walking in the truth of the gospel. And when we are, as faithful followers of Jesus, we're to support gospel ministers and gospel ministries. We're to make it possible for those who've given up everything for the name of Jesus to carry out their calling, to not depend on the world for help, because we too have known and experienced the love and the truth of the gospel. But what does it mean for us really just to show hospitality now? Because hospitality isn't just entertaining our friends. Karen Job says in the front of your bulletin, hospitality in the ancient world generally meant taking a visiting stranger under one's temporary care, thereby transforming their social status from stranger to guest in the community. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, are you committed to that idea of hospitality? For this first century church, this was vital for the life of, in the mission of the gospel in the church. And hospitality now is just as important a practice of the gospel for us because it's one of the primary means by which we learn and we teach love. If we're walking in the truth of the gospel, we must be practicing hospitality, moving strangers to friends and friends to family members. That's our definition of hospitality, moving strangers to friends and friends to family members. The church is not to be a social club of cliques. We're to be welcoming those outside of us. Hospitality is not just for our friends. By this new definition of moving strangers to friends and friends to family members, it can't be. So how can we practice this now? You can move toward new people. Welcome them. Greet them. Invite them to lunch. Invite them to your home. Get to know them. Serve them. Pray for them. Seek ways to honor them and to lift them up and to include them. It means having your neighbors over. It means getting to know them, sharing life with your neighbor, serving them and engaging them. It means on Sunday morning, if you see someone who's alone, who's sitting by themselves, that you greet them, that you welcome them, that you invite them to sit with you or you ask if you can sit with them. It means not just talking to your friends on Sunday morning, but making a concerted effort because of the gospel impact of Jesus on your life to reach out to those who are new and different from you. It means drawing near to those who think and act and live differently from you, whether that means that they're at a different stage of life than you are, whether they have children or, and you don't, whether they are married or single, whether, they have, whether they're a teenager or they're an adult or a child, whether they have different theological or political positions or applications than you do. It means creatively and lovingly welcoming them because of the truth and the love of Jesus moving towards them as a stranger and moving them from being a stranger to being a friend. And moving them from being a friend to a family member. And the question is why? Because they're our family. They're already your family. And so if they're a stranger to you, you're to pursue them as your family. One pastor, Eugene Cho, says this. um, It means on Sunday mornings that if this is your church, it means that you come with a host mentality instead of seeking guest privileges. So think about it. What usually goes along with being a host, it means that, you're there early, that you stay late, that you're there to to welcome and and you're attentive of the needs and the desires of your guest and the presence of your guest. It means that you take pride in the space that you're in. It means you pick up garbage off the floor because you're not at a concert, um, that you care about the space that you're in, and it means that that you you don't come late and you don't leave early because you got what you needed from this consumption-based uh, life that we typically leave. It means you sacrifice your needs for the sake of others, that you're willing to be inconvenienced and gracious with your time and with your energy and with your gifts and your resources. It means inviting people into your brokenness, being vulnerable with them, thereby making it safe and okay for them to be broken and vulnerable with you. Now, why would we do any of this? Because the gospel is true. Because Jesus really is alive. Because the God of the universe really came to earth as a baby, born in weakness, born as a human, and he suffered and died a shameful criminal's death on the cross. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death and destroyed the barrier that we set between us and God because of our broken and rebellious and self-centered lives. And he made it possible for enemies and strangers like us to be brought into his presence and transformed into friends and transformed into family members and children so if you know this one this morning that died to make you a stranger and an enemy into his friend into his beloved child then you're called to walk in the truth to imitate Jesus, because of his love for you, you're called to now show this love and live out of this truth to those around you. So our relationship to others is revealed by our relationship to the truth of the gospel. So what does your relationship to others say about what you believe about Jesus this morning? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you pursue us and that you... Welcome us and you make a place for us to be safe, to come in our brokenness and our need and to to declare that we have nothing to offer and we are desperate and needy people who need your grace. Help us to live out of that, to welcome and to pursue those we don't know, those who are different from us because you have welcomed and pursued us. We praise you for your goodness and we ask that you would meet with us now at your table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.